Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. We are so excited to be bearers of good news and truth and, uh, and help to you today as we dive into important issues that are facing all of us as Americans and as we apply a biblical worldview to the challenges that are before us. So here we are again. And hey, you were telling me we got some lines going on outside. Yeah, the parking lot is looking good. It's just this morning I saw them start to outline the spaces. It's getting excited. Yeah. And I loved it because you, you have the exact amount of steps it's going to take people to get from one end of the parking lot <laughs> to the other, which amazes me. I tracked you, it you walked just it out. in case. Just right, wondering give, how long it would take. Right, so. give, us the, give us the good news or the bad news, depending on where you park. Well, from the from the new parking lot, from the far end to the end of the parking lot, it's about 150 steps. But then you still got to walk to the church doors, which I don't know how many steps that <laughs> so, is. So uh, I'm going to be starting a shuttle in my backyard. You guys can make donations. We'll shuttle you from one end to the other. And... Uh, It'll be a little fundraiser for starving kids. Well, this said my own. (laughs) Yeah, your own starving kids. This Sunday will be interesting because we we will start parking the new parking lot, and we need to fill up the old first. This Sunday will be fine. Yeah, yeah. We're not really encouraging parking in the new parking lot because it it really won't. It'll be. We might be able to use a a little of it just for some space, really in between the transitions of the service. Once we break ground and the. The existing parking lot start falling apart. Then we really need it. I don't know when that's happening, but for now yeah. it's just. Well, kind I of will more. tell you when that's happening because I just got it hot off the press. You know, we're looking to, like I said, the parking lot will be done. Yeah. That was that was mandatory for us to begin tearing up the yep. existing parking lot. Right. There's going to be about a week in between. Uh, for paperwork and final documents and sure. approvals with the city and all that. Like, we, we have approval right now to do anything with dirt. We can move dirt and do all the grades and all that. But when it comes to actually pouring concrete, putting up steel, yeah. um, we've got, we're still got some remaining permits. It's about a week before we officially. Yeah. So, probably, so this week's done, a week in between. So, if I'm looking at like the week Labor Day, you know, when we get into awesome. the month of September, we'll start breaking ground. So, that's exciting. Just when things are getting cold, <laughs> we <laughs> start using the new parking lot. Well, hopefully, so. we'll have a nice warm fall and all the way yeah. in. We'll have, would you you'd like that? A little later winter coming on? I will love a later winter and a short winter, but that's just me. Speaking of a later winter, I don't want to rub things in, but I was in a really nice place this last week. Yeah. Although, I, although I, will, I will say we came home to a really nice place. The weather here has been great. It's but, been awesome here. But yeah, but you went to kind of the, I mean, there's the best climate I would enjoy. Remove politics, remove the cost of living, but in terms of climate, it's San Diego, California. San Diego. And yeah. I, yes, I was in San Diego for three days. Uh, I wasn't outside all the time enjoying the beautiful San Diego weather. I was at the Turning Point USA uh, Faith Conference, which was the first conference that they've ever conducted for pastors. And what was really cool is, as you all know, we... This is our tribe in terms of DNA. I mean, these are all pastors who during COVID were standing up, pushing back against government overreach, um, many of them going against, uh, uh, you know, just wicked governments, um, especially when you get out to California. That's, you know, that's right at the top of the list. And so these guys were getting fine. They were having all the stuff that was being said. You know, you guys are super spreaders. You don't love your neighbor. You're going to kill your grandma and all, all this kind of nonsense talk that we were we heard around here, too. Sure. Um, so every one of these folks were people who had made a, a courageous stand. They're in the battle and every and whether they were pastors or just speakers, we heard speakers from all over, you know, the gamut. Uh, but everyone had the same thing in common. They've all you know, they're all walking with a limp, so to speak, yeah. uh, from what we just went through. And um, so I just wanted to highlight some of the things that they talked about. 
uh, and we're talking. I think it'll it'll feed into our our message today as we talk about um, this crazy crazy world that we're living in. But one of the things this was a an article I just read, and they highlighted it, this same point at the conference. Back to school blues. Of course, we we've already sent. Uh, millions and millions of our kids back to school this this year, but droves of Americans are ditching the public schools. And this was interesting in New York City, which again was a hotbed of liberalism, hotbed of all the uh, crazy sexual agenda, and of course a, a major lockdown place. Right, sixty-four thousand students have already left the uh, school system. And this year, uh, they were looking at another 30,000. So we're talking about just in New York public school system, 100,000 students. Mm. Across America, there's a mass exodus of over 1.2 million students. Now, we're not necessarily celebrating this. We're not sitting here at anti-public school. We've got a lot of great teachers, a lot of great administrators, a lot of good Christian people who really care about students who are involved in, let's just say, our own local public school system here. So we're not anti. But the question we should be asking is why? Why the mass exodus? Um, And this leads me to another article because this is something else. I was in San Diego. San Diego is an epicenter, of course, of leftist progressive education and uh, agenda. And this should be shocking to all of you who are listening to our podcast because it's not we're not dealing with it at this level here, but on both of our coasts we're dealing with absolute insanity. Uh, and let me just let me just highlight what I'm talking about. Um, it says here, sexualizing the rising generation, San Diego's unbelievable assault on its school children. It says the district's new ideology holds that the natural family, a man and woman, and a lifelong commitment of marriage is an artificial and oppressive social construct in which human beings are, quote, assigned a sex at birth, pressed into identities of man and woman, and expected to have heterosexual relationships culminating in marriage and kids as part of a, quote, limited system that excludes and oppresses trans, binary, non-binary, rather, intersex, and gender non-conforming people. What does all that mean? I mean, what we're basically saying is if you, if you and I are engaged in a uh, marriage relationship that produces children, that that whole understanding of heteronormativity, as they call it, all right, uh, that it's normal for a man to marry a woman and, and to have children and to raise those children in a home, a traditional nuclear home, that that whole construct is somehow oppressive uh, is artificially created uh, and it's damaging to students. It's damaging. Right. It's a social construct. There's nothing transcendent about it. It's right. just something that people came up with. It's oppressive. And since people came up with the idea, it can be do away by people, right? It came from people. It can be reinvented by people. Yeah, yeah. that's and what they're saying. It, it gets no, it gets worse. Cause let me it, let me explain here. San Diego Unified has created a program of gender identity instruction with the explicit goal of undermining the traditional conception of sex and promoting a new boutique of sexual identities that promise to disrupt the oppressive system of heteronormativity. A series of curriculum documents encourage students to study the basic tenets of queer theory and then examine photographs of non gender nonconforming role models. So here's, here's the, what the students are looking at. We're going to see a woman with a beard, a boy in a dress, 
a teenage girl with a genderqueer identity, a boy wearing a tiara, and an infant with a gender-neutral baby name. And so here we're pushing the envelope, trying to show kids that all of these things, like you used to see this stuff at the circus. Yeah. I mean, you would go see the bearded woman at the circus. Yeah. You know, that was a draw. Now we're bringing the circus into public education, and we're trying to say that this type of behavior is absolutely normal, and not just normal, but and not just should be tolerated with you know having respect for different people. We're talking about this should be absolutely celebrated. Or else. I mean, there's penalties attached to not doing cartwheels over this type of behavior. Now, it goes on, and this is where I, I, I can't even read some of this because this is even uh, perverted. It says, in training produced jointly by San Diego Unified and Planned Parenthood, administrators walk teachers through a constellation of new identities and advise them to eliminate all traditional language from their vocabulary. Men are to be called people with a penis. And women are to be called people with a vulva. Additionally, the district points out that teachers can assist in a child's gender transition without notifying parents that under California law, minors of any age can consent to pregnancy testing, birth control, and abortion. Finally, the training program includes sample questions on sexuality that teachers might address in the classroom, including, is it okay to masturbate? How do gay people have sex? What is porn? How to use a condom? How to engage in safer oral sex and safer anal sex? This is in the public school system. Now, whatever happened to reading, writing, and arithmetic, and what in the world does that have to do with preparing our children to to go out and to live in a world where they're going to need to function, like be able to do mathematics well, they, and be able to speak and articulate. They are being unapologetic about their religion. I mean, that's all I have to say about it. They yeah. are being unapologetic. They are saying, hey, we're going for broke. This is who we are. This is what we believe. We're going to oppress. We're going to destroy their oppression. And, and we're going to be, I mean, they are, they have no apologies to just show what they believe. I mean, goodness gracious. <laughs> well, when we're connecting some dots, wow. and you're wondering why, why in the world would wow. parents be voting with their feet? You know, we just talked about all the weaponizing of like the FBI and the Department of Justice. You know, when parents actually showed up at school boards in Virginia, New yeah. York City, California, they were the ones treated as right. extremists. Right. You know, they were the ones that were dangerous. And they were simply standing up and saying, wait a minute, who gives you the right to, to expose my child to this kind of behavior that we would consider as Christian people an assault on our values? And then you take it to the next step. All right, it's one thing to be, you know, when, when the lockdowns happened, the, the silver lining was everything went online. And when everything went online, parents actually got a chance to get a bird's eye view of what was being taught. Mm -hmm. And when parents saw what was being taught, they were absolutely appalled. And when they started showing up at school, we were saying, wait a minute, who gave you the right to uh, expose my children to this kind of uh, ideology that we do not agree with at all? Um, that's when parents were, again, tarred and feathered, so to speak, labeled yeah. as the, the abusers, the attackers, the victimizers, the oppressors. And what's crazy is when you realize that... that they have the ability to not only to teach this, but, but to actually groom your child yeah. uh, into some type of uh, sex change or, or different sexual identity, uh, even exposing these ideas to impressionable young people. Uh, it should come as no surprise that we're seeing a mass 
mass exodus from public education. This is a this is an educational revolution that's taking place. And if if <coughs> our public schools don't smell the coffee quickly and adjust, um, I don't know what the future is going to look like for public education. <coughs> I think there's two issues I hear uh, at work here, and we're going to talk about them in a second. One issue is the issue of what is normative sexually and what is repressive. What is the new sexual revolution? Which is related to the second issue, which is parental rights. Yeah. The convert, and, and it's interesting because we're talking about right today, and he actually converged, he converged those two issues about parental rights and sexual identity. Yeah. Because even the patriarchy, the family, traditional family, is seen as an oppressive uh, institution, concept, social concept, right? And for them to not only push these agenda, but push these agenda despite the parents' consent or parents' approval, it's, it's, it's converging of these two different issues, saying, hey, no, we really are liberating your kids from your own traditional family, from so, parents. So, so when we talk about <coughs> normativity, we're we yeah. in Romans chapter 1. God has established things, Genesis chapter 1, right? Male and female, he's established marriage. He's established how men are to relate <coughs> sexually to, to women, how it's a comp complementary. Yeah. Uh, he created us male and female. We're going to, in fact, get into some of this on, on this Sunday in our series called Me. Well, just um, the, the proper expression of sexual activities. Right. Within constraints, monogamous relationships. So, again, right? you and I are sending our kids to yeah. school. We believe that a man and woman should come together. They should form a covenant. Yeah. That covenant. Sex should not exist outside of the covenant until marriage. Absolutely. Monogamous marriage. Yeah. And, in, and in that monogamous marriage between a male and a female, children are produced. That's the way God designed it. In right. fact, you can't put two men together and you can't put two women together biologically and produce anything that's living. There's no life that's formed from the union of two women or two men. This is na human nature. This is a norm. Uh, if you want to have children, you marry somebody of the opposite sex and you have children. That's the way God designed it. Um, so when you when you look at this and, it, and that's being called, you know, some type of wicked patriarchy or, or the church imposing uh, their viewpoint upon us. I mean, no, this is just nature. This, this is just the church affirming what the way God has created things. But but the second issue is just as important as parental, Absolutely. right? It's the nuclear family saying, do the who makes the decision for these for these young people? Do the state make the decision or do the parents get to make that decision? And, and we saw a clear ideological <laughs> collision because when all this was going on in, in uh, Virginia, yeah. Uh, so the, the man running for governor there who lost basically said, what business do parents have with determining what public what public school education and policy is all about? And we're sitting there like, what business? Are you kidding me? We have all the business in the world. But, but, right. but again, the reason the collision, as you're pointing out, is yeah. because that's a biblical value. Yeah. That, that parents have the rights to to know what their well, children are being taught. And if, in fact, they have the authority over ed the education. Of the I mean, you're gonna have a hard time finding a parent who, you might not even believe in the the the, the, right. the traditional uh, sexuality taught by the scriptures. Right. But when you're gonna take your kids away from you and saying, hey, really, we have control over your kids and we, we're gonna teach the kids, doc indoctrinate your kids. Man, parents yeah, are- care, That's right, I don't care who you are as a parent, you're going, man, wait a minute. You're like, wait. <laughs> Uh, I you think last time you I did checked not was... spend nine months, you know, <laughs> in, right, the womb, in the womb, and then a lifetime right, raising, lifetime raising the kids. Like, what does the state have? How is my the state invested in my kids? They're just another number to them, but to me, they're my 
they're my reflection. They're my precious ones, you know? <laughs> God knows that the best place to take care of kids is not the government, <laughs> is, is, is the parents. Well, and that's... In general, in general. That's some, why some we're having this collision. Too, that's why there's so much volatility around higher education. That's why, you know, at the end of the day, yeah, people will vote with their feet. You know, yeah. the left doesn't get this. If you, if you tax the wealthy who have businesses in your state, who are employing people in your state, who are actually being a blessing to your state, if you treat them like they're the bad guys, you're not going to get more tax dollars from them because they're smart enough to know, why would I stay in Illinois and be taxed to death yeah. when I can move to Indiana or to a state that's more business friendly and not be taxed to death? You know, it doesn't take a rocket well, scientist. Or they just up the price. And pass it on to the consumers because they only get their margins or they go out of business. But, but, yeah, and, exactly, and, but yeah. again, even in church, if you don't like what's going on in church, you're going to vote with your feet. I mean, yeah. no one keeps you here or any other any other church. You're going to vote with your feet. So that's right. what parents are doing. They're saying, right. there's options for me. And as long as there's options, yeah. um, I'm going to, to move on. But t- today we're talking about the conversions of the, those exact two issues, right? Exactly. Uh, what, the, the, the opposition coming against the nuclear family. And the opposite coming against the traditional biblical view of sexuality. Yep. So and, and they, they perfectly meet in a yeah. character of who many people may not even be familiar yep. with, um, but whose ideology has impacted our world. In fact, it, when we talk about the phrase sexual revolution, that's that's a that's language that started somewhere. Well, guess where it started? It started with a man named Wilhelm Reich. So let's talk about Wilhelm Reich, a little background information. Uh, he was born in 1897 the troubled son of secular Jewish parents who did not raise him in any faith. And it's interesting, many of these folks, their ideologies came actually out of their experiences. Sure. It came out of who they were. Sure. So with Reich, he's got a father who's cold and cruel and disinterested. He comes from a terrible family life. You know, we talk about father wounds. In fact, mm-hmm. little plug here. We have our men's encounter coming up in September. We deal with a lot of the wounds and, and the way that our fathers have shaped us. Well, his father shaped him in an incredibly painful way. He was angry, cool, disinterested, perfect bad father scenario here. Um, his mom was looking for love in all the wrong places, so she was having uh, outside of marriage affairs. Uh, he talks about in his own biography that at four years old he was sleeping with the family's maid and that there was sexual activity going on at four years of age. So this is an incredibly perverse family dynamic. That's tragic. He was a sex addict by his own admission from early on. Uh, he was hooked on brothels. He said, a quote, I could not live without them. And this was really sad. At one point, uh, Wilhelm told his father about his mother's affair. His, the father's response was to beat his mother, and then his mother committed suicide. And he said he lived with the guilt of that all of his life. So here, here's a young boy that's raised in an abusive family, cold family, non-nurturing family, sexually crazed family. And then experiences the beating of his mother and his mother's own suicide. He's living with that guilt and shame for most of his life. So, again, this is a tragic situation. It's terrible. But he's a young man who started actually looking to Sigmund Freud for answers to deal with with his own, you know, hurts. So he became a student of Sigmund Freud. And, of course, we talked about Freud in weeks past. Freud Freud believed that everything was sexual. So here you got a sexually charged young man who's really a sex addict who's now studying under Freud, who sees everything as sexual. And, um, and he begins to shape his identity about human nature, about the traditional nuclear family. Um, and as we said, when you have Wilhelm Reich, you have coming together uh, sex and politics. 
And so let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, because he mixed Marx into that. Exactly. Marxism with Freud, and now you have a synthesis of those, which is really something that we have going on in our society today. So this is interesting. So why all this sexuality in San Diego school system and in government-run school systems, period? Why are we sexually charging our young people? Why are we exposing them? You know, oh, I'm sure as a third grader, you need to know what gay sex is. Um, No, it's never across the third grader's mind, and they really have no need to know what that is. But why is it that we feel impressed to push all of this on them and to sexualize our kids? Well, Wilhelm Reich explains a lot of this. He says, if we're defined by our sexual desires or orientations, then sex must become political because rules governing sexual behavior will have a bearing on our identity. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. So yeah. why is government now jumping into the, to sex so much? And- right, because you know, we, we talk about this with Freud, you know, because if our central being, our central identity is our pursuit of happiness and our pursuit of happiness is found in our sexual expression, Therefore, you connect the dots. Specifically, that, erotic sexual expression. Right, erotic sexual sexual expression. So you connect the dots. Our rights, our identity to pursue happiness, is defined by our sexual expression. Right. So, so that becomes a political issue because it becomes a civil rights issue. And if right? the government doesn't step in and start making laws, and as you said, and yep. making it a right and enforcing this and punishing those who don't accept it, yep. then I'll never be able to express my true sexual identity. And, and be this helpful. becomes, a, the identity thing, the identity issue is crucial because it's not just as permissible. You, you're allowed to do it without a, a threat of punishment by law. We're forced to celebrate it because it becomes a civil identity, a civil right. And so right? now we can see where public education comes in because right. now we've got to begin to indoctrinate our young people from the earliest grades. Right that this new sexual revolution and everything that comes with it is actually good and healthy and normal, and that if your parents or religious people or pastors or whatever other authority figures aren't accepting of it, we need to actually punish them because they're, they're, they're harming, they're psychologically harming right. these students right. by, not, right. by not accepting who they are. Right. And, and that's where all, kind of all this ties together. So right. this is interesting. So the family for Marxists mm-hmm. is the authoritarian superstructure in miniature form. In other words, the reason we have all this injustice in our culture is because the nuclear family reinforces patriarchy and heteronormativity, which is a big fancy word yeah. for simply saying that men and women are complementary and that, the, that, that that's the norm, yeah. men and women. So, so Marx in particular hated the nuclear family and nowadays, folks like Wilhelm Reich, who synthesized Marx and Freud and, and some kind of sexual synthesis, they hate the nuclear family as well. Why such hatred for the nuclear family? Why, why are we going against, uh, you know, white male patriarchy and, and uh, heterosexuality? I mean, it's a, what's the big agenda? Well, I mean, the, to me, if you ask me, I think it's a demonic threat and a satanic <laughs> attack on the image and likeness of God and God's institution that leaves the human oh, thriving. Pre- preaching my message. But, but, but you're, that's if you ask me. I mean, if you talk to some political, political commentary, they probably won't bring demonic forces into it. That's what I feel like. Why is there attack on something that now? Now, but it's interesting because both. You know, Reich and for those guys have not really experienced or lived out like true traditional the the blessings of a family. Well, you bring out a really good point here. Yeah, 
if you're raising a family where your dad's cruel, harsh, oppressive, distant, right. that the marriage is a disaster, your mom's ex looking for love in all the wrong places, right? So right. she's having affairs. Uh, the dad's an angry, violent man. You're, you're, you are not raised in a nurturing home, a loving home. Actually, you're sleeping with the maid even when before you go to school. I mean, this is massive family dysfunction, although in our culture today, that would almost be viewed as a great encouraging, right? You're expressing your sexuality. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting, as you said, when you've never seen it, never experienced it, never tasted it, and yet you're fighting against it, which is what he did. He hated the nuclear family, probably because his experience of a nuclear family was it's, it's horrible. The same thing with any institutions. I mean, we're so, human beings are so reactive. We have so many blind spots. I mean, people reacted to churches. Some people hate traditional churches, institutional well, churches. They had because they had a bad experience. They had a horrible experience, and they were wounded and hurt, and they were just like, it's all terrible, it's all bad, and you know, that's that's human experience, and and that's you know it's hard for people to go outside of their blind spot because that's all they know, right? Yep. So so right here, speaking as a true Marxist and as a true uh, Freudian. Well, but but this here's the key: is Marxism is so so um, vigorous and strenuous and toppling the oppressive regime. And for Marxism, it's mostly the economic, the family too, but mostly the economic. The, right. uh, the, he he the viewed the oppression through an economic, economic lens, lens, whereas Freud views the oppression through a psychological well, lens. Well, that's why Reich did, combining those two, Freud and Marx, is, is now psychological. Now the oppressive uh, uh, forces is less economic, but more psychological or religious or traditionalism or anything normative that that culture has carried for thousands of years that's seen as oppressive. So you take all that anger and, 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 and indignation towards economic forces and you just kind of pivot and put it on religious or, or family sure. institutions. So, so the reason the Marxists hated the family is because the family was the means for holding private property, for passing down wealth from generation to generation. Yeah. So Marx hates the family. We've got to obliterate yeah, so the family. money, right. And then, and then Freud comes along and says the family is also bad because the family is what keeps reinforcing all these oppressive sexual codes. Right. So it's your dad who says, no, you're not going to go sleep with your girlfriend. You, right. need, you need to wait till you're married. Or, right. or, you know. The pastor who says, hey, stop sleeping around. Be faithful to your wife, you know. Exactly. So yeah. we're, the, we're the ones that are now the oppressors sexually, and the, the family becomes right. the... The uh, the nucleus of both the economic oppression and the sexual oppression. Right. So we have to blow up the family, and not just um, uh, the the sexual uh, codes. Uh, we as far as adjusting them, we need yeah. to obliterate all sexual codes. It's interesting because you know even Freud. I mean, what we talked about a couple of weeks ago was was aware that when you blow everything up, it's chaos. So he actually, even though he doesn't believe in religion or culture, he was like, at least it's keeping the human desire at bay because we don't want chaos. He himself is aware of the chaos that ensues with there's rampant sexual revolution and just no restraint at all, right? <laughs> right, he saw that there was a, a silver lining to at least believing the myth of- The myth of religion. religion. And, but but Wilhelm Reich here, he's taking that, all that anger and frustration on Marxism and he's toppling, he's pour all into, uh, 
Freud, Freud's ideology, and now there's no restraint, and you just like you go yeah, for. And this is why, again, we, we we get shocked at what they're pushing in in uh, yeah. San Diego wow. schools. But but here's where it comes from. Uh, he says strict moral principles not only negate sex, but he negates sexual expression with life. So so they're life demeaning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this is why the primary task of revolutionary politics and what we're seeing in our government schools, not all of them, but especially on the coast, is to demolish repressive sexual codes. Sexual education in school is designed to promote sexual freedom for the students, which is why this is interesting. We're sitting there going, how in the world and why would you be teaching children in elementary school how to put a condom on a banana or something ridiculous like this and then moving uh, Planned Parenthood clinics into our public schools where children are introduced to crazy radical sexual expression without any moral boundaries Uh, and then being able to abort a, a child that's conceived through the process of all this sexual expression, and parents are are the enemies. In fact, yeah. in the, in this gender transition stuff, there are parents that are being carted off uh, to court or fined or punished simply for saying, "You're doing what to my child?" I mean, th- th- they are angry as they should be. But this is what Reich said. I'm I'm quoting him: "Any adult who hinders the development of a child's sexuality should be quote severely dealt with." What does that mean? Now we're having a situation where the state is welcomed in, and, and we, would, we would all talk here. You know, if, if a teacher recognizes physical abuse or sexual abuse or emotional abuse in a student, they have the responsibility to report that to the state. Yeah. And, and I don't think anybody would argue with that. Uh, the problem is when we start changing the definitions of abuse. And now we're looking at situations yeah. where abuse is considered me saying to my child, no, you're, you went to school as a little boy, and now you're coming home as, a, as in your mind as a little girl. This is wrong. When I say this is wrong, now I'm the abuser. Right. And, that, and the state's not coming in to deal with me and right. to punish me. And as Reich says here, uh, severely dealt with. What, what does that mean? What does that mean? Severely dealt with. Let, let's start come getting back to definitions of what is abuse, what is right, what is wrong, what is moral, what is immoral. A, a lot of this is language, of course, takes us right back to the scriptures and absolute truth. And of course, if we throw absolute truth away, throw God away, throw the Bible away, everybody's making their own definitions. That's a brave new world. That's a scary place that most parents are not willing to live in, and, I, and rightfully and, so. And that is really like the, the playground for the intellectual elite, which is creating new definitions, uh, new words, new meanings to new words, and then redefining words that we we thought we knew, such as, you know, what is abuse, what is inflation, you know, you redefine all these different words. You can control anything when you redefine different words. I mean, I'm just going to call you another name that made up with, made up from nowhere, and then you're this thing, and then everyone else starts using it. So, so that's basically the ideology that's really, because it becomes so confusing. As the family keeps breaking down, because they keep attacking the family, the family has a harder time sustaining the love and the care for a child, and the government has more reason to come and take the child away because the family's breaking down. It becomes a self-fulfilled prophecy, and they can say, look, the family doesn't work because you keep telling people the family doesn't work. Right. You know? and, and you keep working actively to make it harder for the family to family. survive. I mean, but this is the other thing, pushing women out of the home. Yep. 
and demeaning women that stayed in the home. Well, when you stayed at home and you cared for your children and you loved your husband and you and you ran your home, which is no small thing. That, that's a, that's just I'm grateful for my wife because with eight kids, I mean, there's bills to pay, there's groceries to purchase, there's clothes to buy, there's things to mend, there's stuff to clean. Uh, you know, I mean, just running the home is like a little mini corporation. I'll tell you, the greatest attack on family is just the sexual agenda people are pushing. Because it's so much harder to, I'm not even talking about the faithfulness between husband and wife, which of course is being under attack, you know, just through everything on TV and whatever. But just the kids, how do you, it's, it's so much harder to raise your kids when there's, I mean, you, you give them a cell phone. I mean, they have access to everything perverse they can look at, right? And that makes the family harder to deal with and, you know, to raise and learn and all these different things. So increasing taxation. Uh, now we have to work harder, longer, less yeah. time with our kids. I mean, everything that's being done right now to put pressure on a husband and wife staying together and trying to raise their kids in a world that seemingly has yeah. lost its mind. So um, hopefully this hopefully this helps you understand <laughs> why this blatant attack on just what we would consider healthy, normal family life, and then why the sexualization of our children at every turn. You know, this uh, don't say gay bill, which is what they called the the DeSantis in the state of Florida, which had nothing to do with don't say gay. It was just simply saying, have we lost our minds? Who in the world thinks it's right to be talking to kindergartners about men have penises uh, 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 or women can have penises or whatever? I mean, who in the world? We're supposed to be learning the alphabet in kindergarten. I mean, are you kidding me? But this is just blatant sexualization. But hopefully now you understand the ideology that's driving it. Uh, and now we need to be able to go into school boards. In fact, I want to encourage you. Um, we had a, a Sunday, somebody come up to me and said, hey, pastors, based on your uh, challenge to run for school board and run for uh, city council, we're having a number of people that are rising to the occasion. Praise the Lord. Pastors should be doing this in a local church, soliciting good people who share our values to, to run for school board and get elected. Um, thank God for marriage class. We have it every Sunday afternoon to help you have a great marriage and so your kids can experience um, a healthy family life. Uh, we've got a variety of ministries that are going on to help people get healed and restored. So well, I think that's, that is part of our response. I think there's twofold to, to all of this. One is what truly brings life. Because the ideology, they're pushing a religious ideology, yeah. psychological ideology, whatever you want to call it. This ideology is what truly brings life is unrestrained sexual liberation. And um, that's what they only restrained by life. Yeah, right. That's what leads to life. We have to make the counter argument. Yeah. How how are we how are we living and demonstrating and, and, and the church and just believers in Christ demonstrating what leads to most life is when you lay your life down. And, and that you can't, that's not cheap. You have to actually live it out. Yeah. So when you lay your life down to your desires and you let God give you new desire, renewed desire, that's when you live what Christ said. I come to give you life and life to the full. Amen. The second issue we got to live out is our restoration, our our adherence, our uh, our loyalty to the fam- nuclear family infrastructure. That means we have to love our family well. We have to love our wives well. We have to love our kids well. That's why, let me start, like you said, we have parenting class. We have marriage class. We talk about how important it is to not abandon your family uh, and just pursue career or all these other things. To, to your, We say our family is our number one ministry. Our, our, our yeah. number one disciple is our family. And I will say this too, you know, a lot of people are living uh, in single parent situations because of a breakdown of the marriage relationship or or there's children that have been conceived outside of marriage um, there, there's all kinds of different 
dynamics. We're, we're not disparaging those, those people in those situations. We encourage them. We want to help them. But the other thing we're not doing is throwing away the norm. We're not throwing away the standard uh, that marriage is created by God. It is, it is designed to bring in the next generation. It's the most healthy arrangement. I don't think any single parent would say, yeah, trying to raise a child by myself. I could barely raise a wolf, too. I mean, I bless your heart. We, we applaud we yeah. applaud your hard sure. work. We want to come around you. But for someone to say that's normal or that should be put on the same same level as a healthy um, a marriage between a man and a woman, that's ridiculous. All, all this, all the data says that that's not the case. So we're not, we're not creating a kind of false moral equivalency. And on the other hand, we're not simply saying, you know, shame on you that, that somehow your marriage didn't work. Not at all. We want to come alongside people and say, we realize it's hard. We want to support you. We want to love you. We want, if, the, if it's a single mom, we want to have good father, male father figures that come along and encourage your, your, your children as yeah. well. Um, but this, it's crazy to suggest that family means whatever you want it to mean. Two men living together, two women living together. A commune. Uh, a a well, commune, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, it's just ridiculous to suggest that there are not norms that God has established for healthy family life. There, there is a standard. There, there are uh, guidelines that God's given us. And yeah, sometimes we color, color outside the line, but we still have those guidelines in place to help us to come back and say, hey, how can we live the best life? Amen. And that's why... I mean, we, we need to strongly promote those things. Amen. So thank you for watching today. We love to get your feedback. You know, those emails that come in are simply responding uh, uh, to our to our podcast. That's helpful to us. We love to know that you're watching. Also, I know some of you, when, when a podcast is speaking to things that, are, that we're dealing with, and I can't think of a podcast more relevant than what we just talked about, uh, these are good to share with your friends. So please help us get the word out. Uh, as uh, we believe that what we're talking about is helpful uh, to bring clarity to so many folks. In I, this I thought you can close by ending on what happened to Reich. That was very yeah, interesting. Know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, we always say the we always say a person's uh, worldview uh, either works or it doesn't work, and, and it, it, it's proven by how you live your life. And so you do a little research here on on Reich, and, and again, this is sad. Uh, as he went on, you know, the Bible says this: when you open up the door to perversion. Lust is never satisfied, so, so your perversion just keeps growing in its hunger and its strangeness. And as Reich went on, he developed stranger and stranger obsessions. First of all, he studied UFOs. It's interesting to me that when people reject God, they're still looking for meaning out there somewhere. So you, you get rid of this crazy infantile view of God, but now you're searching for UFOs. He developed a machine for concentrating sexual energy. I have no idea what that looked like, but it was such a fraudulent thing that when he tried selling it, he was arrested and publicly uh, tried for fraud and convicted. He went to jail. He died in prison in 1957, paranoid and widely dismissed by the larger public as crazy. So when you embrace a lie and you keep living a lie long enough, you end up totally becoming uh, disengaged from reality. And so here's a guy whose sexual obsessions led to committing fraud, which led to imprisonment, which led to him losing his mind. And again, I don't celebrate that. It's, it's tragic, but this is this is what the devil this is the devil's goal yeah. is to destroy people made in the image and likeness of God. Yeah. And there's another perfect example of what happens when people reject God and pursue uh, their sinful desires. So, uh, so don't do that. There's a better choice. <laughs> his name is Jesus Christ, and his worldview is a 
worldview that leads to maximum life. And that's what we pray for you, uh, that you experience the maximum life that's found in Christ. So until we meet again, we'll see you here next Thursday. Have a great week.